For the past four weeks, four weeks, we have spent time talking about these three crucial elements to personal Bible study. Observation. What's the second one? Interpretation. And then finally, application. You have to look. What do I see? And then, what does it mean? And then finally, how does it work? How does it work in my life? What, is that, what does that really mean? What am I supposed to do with that? We're going to take what we have learned from Spiritual Cooking 101, and we are transitioning even right now into Spiritual Cooking 201. We're going to spend the, today and then the rest of September uh, working through this, through the book of James. I've, we have had you, Pastor Craig and I have had you read James chapter 1 for a number of weeks. And if you have done that, you have been able to come up with some incredible observations. If this is your first time, we have been reading through James chapter 1 over and over and over again. Our goal is not to just get through it, but to really truly be able to understand and get something from it. So we want to take our time, and so today we're going, I want to share with you some observations that I have found from the book of James and chapter 1, and then we're going to talk about its interpretation, and then of course, like always, every single week we have next steps. We're going to look at some application. How does that work in my life? And I'm going to be teaching through James the rest of September, as I said, so I encourage you uh, to be reading the chapter along with me and, and then bring some observations that you have and maybe just maybe uh, you'll look through and you'll say oh I noticed that oh yeah I noticed that I didn't see that coming and you'll have moments of learning and growing and you know what let's just be honest with each other there's a possibility uh, you might just get it wrong that's okay because we're going to work through it We'll rethink, and then we'll go back at it again. It's okay. Don't fear failure. Use it as an opportunity to say, oh, man, I didn't look at it that way. I, okay, let's realign. Let's go at it again. And then you'll be able to find more and more confidence. So open your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm going to give you a little bit of a background of James, and I'm going to jump right in because my uh, goal today is to go through the entire chapter of James chapter 1. Not specifically like word-by-word -word, uh, explanation. I am going to read through the chapter, and then we're going to talk about it little by little here. First of all, you need to know as you're turning to James, if you don't have your Bible with you, there's pew Bibles. You can grab one of those. You can even take that with you if you want until you get maybe a study Bible or even something else, and then pass that on to another friend. Uh, but we have that uh, available for you uh, anywhere there. You can also open your phone, go to BibleGateway.com, or however you choose to look at Scripture on your phone or device. So as you're getting ready to go into James chapter 1, I want you to be aware of, how, of, of like what I'm expecting over the next couple of weeks. I'm expecting that you'll take a chapter, and then you'll use the week in between Sundays to actually go through it. Monday and Tuesday, I encourage you to observe. Read through the chapter and then observe. Observe it. What do you see? What do you see? What do you see? And then write down some observation. Lots and lots of questions. And then Wednesday and Thursday, I want to encourage you for the next number of weeks here, on Wednesdays and Thursdays, to go through, what does it mean? 
What does this mean? This is where you dive into uh, life application study Bibles. This is where we talked about commentaries, looking at things online, and just looking, answer, trying to answer the questions of what you saw. And then on Friday and Saturday, I encourage you to spend some time looking through, okay, so how does this work in my life? How do I apply this to my life? And then on Sunday, we come together and we'll talk about it. I'll do most of the talking. But your notes will do some talking to you, and you'll be able to see. There is no shame in this. You, you might find that you're going, oh man, I just keep getting it off or whatever. Okay, keep going. Let's keep working at this together. I'm going to outline the book of James, uh, and that's going to be our big idea uh, each week. So our big idea, the outline for today, for chapter 1, is a mature believer practices patience in trials. Maturity. The book of James is the overarching big theme of James is Christian maturity. This is how you are to behave as a mature believer. But to continue that even further, it's the conversation of faith and works. So within our big ideas, within our outline, you're going to see the, uh, the element of maturity, right? So a mature believer... Talking about the big theme of James, maturity, practices, so puts it into practice. That's a, that's a continual theme of James as well. And so today we're going to look at patience in trials, which is such an interesting thing. Because in order to be able to acquire patience, you have to go through trials. And the challenge is, is that it's those trials that produce the patience. But we don't want to go through trials, do we? No, no, nobody wants to. Nobody longs for a moment of extreme dread. Nobody longs for fear and worry and doubt and confusion. No, nobody wakes up and says, man, today's going to be a confusing day. I can't wait. If anything, you wake up frustrated. Man, today's going to be a confusing day. I just know it. But what are you learning from that? How are you practicing patience in those trials? James is written, uh, let, let's read through the book. I'll get too carried away here if I don't just read the book, okay? James chapter 1. I'm not reading the whole book. I'm just reading James chapter 1 today. James chapter 1. This letter is from James, a slave, to God, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, uh, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is, an, is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Verse 7. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers, and the little flower droops. And falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. 
God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, become his prized possession. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and then forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, in the, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. There's a lot of, like... There's a lot of like moments where James is writing here and and he has these like pithy comments, right? Like really like bam, there's that. It's kind of like in the in the interest of spiritual cooking 101 as we've been talking about. If you remember the chef from the 90s uh, that would go bam. Would remember his name? Emerald. And so there's these moments here where James is like Bam, right? I don't know that he's trying to kick it up a notch. Uh, this is the inspired word of God as God inspires, works through the, the man that wrote it. And then here we are. We have God's word, no doubt. And so we have these moments. If there was an Old Testament comparison, you're probably looking at the book of Proverbs. There's lots of wisdom within James. There's lots of, in Proverbs, like uh, pithy comments, like kind of sharp comments where, where it's kind of like, wow, I just got to take that for what it is. And so we're looking at what James is saying here. So I want to share with you some observations that I have. As we go through James, it's apparent that if you are really a Christian, you're going to live like it. But likewise, uh, comparatively speaking, if you are not a Christian, you're going to live like it. So look at your life. And that will tell you if you are truly following Jesus. And James lays this all out for us. As we get into James chapter 1, verse 1, we see that it says, here's some of my observations, and then we'll go through it together. This letter is from James, a slave of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. James, interesting. Which James? Did anybody catch that? There's four possibles. 
Um, probably two likelies, uh, but there are four James that we can read about. The most famous James would be James, the brother of John, son of Zebedee. Uh, James uh, was one of Jesus' followers, and so it would make, you know, disciples, and so it would make sense that maybe that was him, but uh, not likely. James, the son of Alphaeus, would be number two, also known as James the Less, uh, recorded within Scripture. I think it was Mark that, that mentioned it, that it was James the less. Now we say that today and it's like, oh my gosh, going to hurt their, their, uh, what is that? Uh, self-esteem. And, uh, and they're like, well, they weren't saying it like you were lesser than. He was saying that you were younger than. And that's just a fact. So James the lesser, J James the greater. Uh, one was older, one was, was younger. Not likely to be him. James the father of Judas, uh, not Iscariot. And when you read through that, it actually says that. I think it's in John where it says, you know, uh, James the father of Judas, not Iscariot. Because we know that Judas Iscariot was the one that betrayed Jesus. And so we want to make very clear that we're not him. Right? It's like if somebody was, if I did something so terrible they did not want to be referenced as, as me, they'd say, Gordon, not the Hayberg. Right now, <laughs> I may be a Gordon, but I am not that one. And so it's James, the, the, the father of Judas, but not the Iscariot. Right, not Iscariot. Unlikely that it was him. The general consensus, as you do a little bit of research and a little bit of digging here, uh, which is easy to do, it's actually James, the half-brother of Jesus. Which is a fascinating thing that if this in fact was him, which most people would agree that it was James, the half-brother of Jesus, why wouldn't you have name-dropped that? I mean, if my older brother truly was the son of God... I would put that in there. I would put that in there. This is, this is James, the you know, half-brother of Jesus and a slave of God. He did not look at it like that clearly. I am a slave of God and of who? My bro. No, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in a proper position. He wasn't just a guy I grew up with. He was, in fact, Lord. James didn't buy it until after the resurrection. I mean, come on. You see Jesus walking around. you got to admit, okay, he might have been right all those years. Okay, I'm in. I'll buy it. James becomes the uh, primary leader in the church of Jerusalem. This is just uh, historical facts, things that you can find if you just do a little bit of research, finding that out. Even in your study Bible, it might even pull that out. So I wanted to know which James. So we're talking about James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Interesting. I want to know why they're scattered. They're Jewish believers, which makes them Messianic Jews, which means that they were Jewish and then they chose to follow Jesus, and now they are Jewish believers. That's how they would have been referred to as. But they're scattered. Or they just have a hard time focusing? No, that's the modern language, scattered thoughts. They were scattered out of their homeland because of persecution. Oh, you mean Rome got to them? No, uh, their families. Their friends that didn't trust Jesus? They're the ones that like pushed them out, refused. Nope, nope. I don't know you anymore. You're no longer my son. You're no longer my daughter. Why? Because you're Jewish and you're choosing to follow this rabbi. And they were scattered because of persecution. You can even read through that as we see scripture interpreting scripture in Acts chapter eight. 
You can see where there was this great persecution that occurred with the the Messianic Jews, the Jewish believers. And then he says greetings, which we would look at it and we would say, wow, that's nice. And I just kind of took that for face value, just kind of like, hi, or dear, you know, dear Jewish believers that are scattered abroad. This word greetings I thought was interesting because if they're scattered abroad, they're having a hard time. So what does that really mean? I thought it was just high. When you look at the original word of it, it actually is kind of like, hey, I'm glad. I'm rejoicing. What is wrong with you, James? These people are going through some tough stuff. And you're saying, you're saying like rejoicing in your greeting? And James continues on here as he's rejoicing in his greeting. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Which means that you're going to have spontaneous issues come your way, like out of nowhere. Sound familiar? Not even going to see it coming. Bam. And it hits you right between the eyes. Spontaneous, numerous And various of all kinds, no matter what comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And then it says a weird, peculiar phrase, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, those of you that are like, I knew it. I've reached that. I've been telling my family forever, I am perfect, and I am complete. But when you look at that, you're going, okay, but something seems a little bit off there, because if Jesus was the only perfect one that ever lived, if I really believe that, then this must mean something a little different than me actually being on the same playing field as Jesus, the Son of Man. And so when I look at this, what it's actually referring to is, if you've ever seen a, an old pirate's telescope, something that kind of extends, and then you look, the perfect, the completion, is reaching its full potential. You can reach your full potential in evangelism, your full potential in teaching, your full potential in hospitality, because you are truly, at, you're, you're, you're Practicing patience in your trials. And then you have endurance. Now you're reaching your full potential. It's as though the the telescope was extended fully. And now I can use it for its full intention. That's what that means. It doesn't mean that you're always right and they're always wrong. Let's just lay that out there right now. So as I look through these words, and I come to verse number 9, believers who are poor, and then in verse 10, and those who are rich. Okay, so those who have no money, those versus those who have a lot of money. Well, let's look at this for just a moment. The word poor, I thought, was an observation. It was a peculiar word, but it's used before, right? Poor are the... Remember from Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the poor... Yeah, poor in spirit. And so we, lear- we learned that uh, about a couple months ago as we were going through the book of Matthew. And so I'm going, oh, I wonder if that's similar. Humble. Believers who are humble have something to boast about. They're not going to because they're humble. But you actually do have something to celebrate, to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them they will fade away. 
As I looked through that, I still was a little confused about the rich portion of that. So I looked at the Barnes Notes commentary, as we've talked about, reading through a commentary. And so I went through there to see, okay, so what does this commentary have to say? To endure the, tra- the transitions from affluence uh, to poverty, still a believer has much to be grateful for. If you're a follower of Jesus and so you go from having a lot to having nothing, you shouldn't just wallow in that. Be grateful for the fact that for whatever reason, God chose to place you in a more humbling state. I know, isn't this weird to read through this through the word? We live in a completely different time, in a completely different land, completely different culture, and we're saying it's actually would be beneficial for some to not have affluence and actually have far less if God allows We will do this or that. God gets to decide ultimately how these things happen. We get to decide how we're going to respond to it. So there are times, and if that ever happens, rejoice at the fact that God has removed that even temptation to continually be identified by your wealth rather than your Savior. Verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation Man, patiently enduring trials and temptation. Let's, let's think about that for a moment. This is where we meditate a minute and we think through, what does it practically look like for me to patiently uh, wait through, patiently go through? I can tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like standing in front of a crowd telling your story, your sob story, over and over and over and over and over again. Let me qualify sob story. The story that something, let's look at a marriage, that your spouse left. Terrible, devastating, horrible stuff. As a follower of Christ, that's not your identity. Dare I say, our, our terrible, terrible, grievous loss in our lives. That's not your identity. You're a child of God. And so we have to continually refocus our thoughts because we want to keep going back there, don't we? We want to keep going back there. And there's a time for that. In Ecclesiastes, we're told there's a time for everything. And so you have time, and you sit, and you mourn. We're terrible mourners. We're all trying to be strong for each other and not let it out. Well, they've just got to be strong. You know, back in the day, they knew how to mourn. They, had, they would even hire people. Professional mourners. That while they were handling maybe some business or dealing with their own grief and stuff, there were people in their living room even just wailing and crying because it was necessary. You know as well as I do, after a good cry, you have a moment of, I really needed that. Why? Because you let it out. And the reason why you're overwhelmed with emotions and, 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 and you start crying and you're maybe even throw a fit is because you let it in. You, you left it in got to let it out you got to just keep mourn it well 
and then we're going to get back on our feet. It doesn't mean we forget. It doesn't mean we neglect. It means that as a child of God, that is not your identity. Patient in trials. Try not to force a thing. Try not to get to a place where you're just like controlling every little thing that happens. Sometimes you just need to sit back and let God do whatever God does. Even if it looks like you're neglecting something. Well, what about this? What about that? I don't know. The Lord hasn't shown me a clear direction, so I'm not moving forward on that. But we got to do this now. It has to happen now. Like if we don't do this, I'll miss out on this. And then you miss out on it. But if the Lord doesn't want me to have it, then I don't want it. I need to keep moving forward, fixing my eyes on him as he opened doors. Then I'll continue to move forward. Just simply being patient. In verse 17, that word perfect comes up again. Um, Interesting. It's the same word as in verse 4. Whatever is good and uh, maybe even humbling is a gift coming down from us, from God. I encourage you in verse 17 to look up that word and cross-reference that with verse 4. Let that leave you a little bit of a homework and just kind of see as the Lord shows you, what is this? This word perfect is confusing at times because it's not what we look at as of today. Whatever is good and complete, not humble, complete. Whatever is complete in its fullness is a gift coming down. See? Even I messed it up. I got my words crossed over there. So the word perfect, this element of, of completion, going on to verse 19. So he goes on and he's talking about listening and doing. And in verse 20, human anger does not produce righteous, the righteousness God desires. So if, I, if, if that's not what uh, produces it, um, I'm interested to know what that is. What is the righteousness of God? Because we get mad because there's an injustice, rightfully so. There's an injustice, and I am mad. I am angry, and in that anger, I, I, I misguide I mis- myself with this thing that I'm actually feeling confident, because you know how it is. I'm angry. Oh, you better watch out, which in your normal uh, neural pathway thought calmness, uh, you would never think to do that. You're just kind of like, well, I wonder what, but in your anger, you come up with all kinds of stuff. So instead of just acting out on your anger, because that doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires... So rid yourself of all the filth and all the junk and all the evil things, because then you'll have more of a clear mind. In the Life Application Chronological Study Bible that I have, the salvation message that can save the soul, when I am with this righteousness, if I am angry, I can't effectively... I can't effectively serve, I can't effectively lead, I can't effectively share the gospel in my life or in my words. I got plenty to be angry about. You? We got plenty to be angry about. And when we lash out in that human anger, it does not produce the salvation message that can save your soul. If you're a Christian, you're going to live like it. If you're not, you're going to live like it. In verse 25, I started looking through here and I had another observation. Maybe you caught it. 
But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do not, uh, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. How can a law set me free? Isn't that weird? Isn't that so strange? Wait a second. There's laws everywhere that kind of restrict me and control me. What do you mean there's a law that sets me free? Well, as you begin to dive into this a little bit more, you begin to see, again, I went back to my life application chronological study Bible. This thing is so cool. You need to get a chronological study Bible because it's so neat to see how these events had unfolded. And so I begin to understand, it seems paradoxical that a law could give freedom. Those who know Christ know that salvation actually sets you free to serve God. Because we learn through the book of Romans that we are actually dead in our sin. We are controlled by our sin if we do not know Jesus. But once we know Jesus and we are set free in new life, then we are able to serve him freely. There's no law against serving God. There are, according to the perfect law, right? The law of Moses, uh, the law of God. Man's law can come up with whatever it wants, say whatever it will, but I'm not guided by man's law alone. If it actually uh, interferes with God's focus for my life, I'm just going to have to keep following God. Go back to James 1.1. The scattered believers... Scattered believers. The law of the family and the community and the Jewish community was like, no, we're Jewish. This is what we do. I can't, I can't, I, I can't do that anymore after meeting Jesus. Then you're out. Hey, guess what? Now you're in a different region to spread the good news. Count it all joy. When you go through stuff. Did you know that you can worship in joy while you grieve? I don't get it either. But it's the peace that passes all understanding that comes only through the Holy Spirit. That I can be sobbing in my grief and yet worship the God who gives and takes away. Because he is good all the time. And all the time, he is good. He is God. And I am not. So I refuse to sacrifice what I know for sure for the things I don't know for sure. And that's why we need to observe interpret and apply into our lives God's word. One final peculiar word that probably was a regular word back in the day, the verse 26. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're only fooling yourself. Religious. In our modern talk today, we would say it's not a religion, it's a relationship. This is weird. Why would they say you're religion? Well, as I look in that word, it's a level of devotion. Where's your focus? If you claim to be a devoted person, 
devoted to Christ, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself. Boy, I got an application right there for that. If I claim to be a follower of Jesus, I better watch this little thing that uh, has the power of life and death. Fascinating what we learn when we can prepare spiritual meals to share and to enjoy. So our big idea today as we kind of look over James chapter 1 is that a mature believer practices patience in trials. That's the, that's the outline for James chapter 1. So what do I do with all this? I think God knows you better than I do. I think that's fair. When you're feeling anxious, worried, out of control, pray. It's not a corny church Christian cliche. It's what we have. We're always looking for more, better, bigger, different. From the very beginning, people were reading his word, his law, and people were praying. Nothing's changed. And so pray. And I don't want you to be afraid of what you might say. Because God has big shoulders. And he can certainly deal with anything that you and I He can walk through with you anything that you are going through today. I guarantee you, trusting Jesus is the only way to peace with the Father. I have devoted my life to this. Not because of pastor title, but because I'm a child of God. And those of you that have done the same know the truth. So share it. I'm confident somebody's going to talk to you this week about, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Have an answer ready. And an appropriate answer might even be, I don't know. I just don't. So in these moments... I just sit in prayer because he knows and I trust him. I trusted him when everything was going great. So I choose to trust him when everything is going bad. Wow. What a message for a hurting world. And a prayer that's actually in your notebook that you could pray. Lord Jesus, I'm feeling... And just put down whatever that is. I'm feeling this, this way, whatever your feeling is. And I'm choosing to trust you in this moment. Don't try to wait until you feel it. Choose it. And then maybe you might feel it. But it's a choice. I am choosing to trust you at this moment. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me your peace. That passes all understanding. You pray that every day for the next week. Who knows? There's no magic potion. It's the fact of submission that you acknowledge, I need you in my life. James was talking to a group of people that were hurting. And his focus was Christian maturity. I believe that I'm speaking to some who are hurting. And our focus today 
is Christian maturity. How are we going to handle what's laying out in front of us? We're going to focus on Jesus. We're going to pray. Next week, read through James chapter 2 and make some observations, make some interpretations, and make some applications. Let's take this moment and just ask the Lord for his guidance and for his peace. So, Heavenly Father, we come to you even now. And I thank you for the privilege of just knowing you. You loved us before we ever loved you. And so, God, we just come to you now acknowledging where we are. There is a heaviness in some of our lives. And it might even look different for sure, but it's heavy. And so, God, I just ask you to open our hearts to you even now. Open our hearts to you. That we would choose to follow you. That we would choose to be saved by you. Saved by you through this Jesus, your son that came and died and rose again. That we would be rescued from hell and walk into eternal life with you. So if you would just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a minute. Is there anybody here this morning that wants to pray a prayer of submission to God today? To ask for the salvation that only he provides? Just slip your hand up for a moment so I can see you, so we can pray together. Anybody that would say, I don't know Jesus. And I need to know Jesus. Good. Now, would anybody say, listen, I, I've known him for a long time. I've known of him maybe, but we're not as connected as we should be. If you want to have a moment of rededication where you just simply acknowledge once again that you are following Jesus, would you slip your hand up? If you want to do that today, good. Yes, okay. So I'm going to say a prayer, and I want you just to repeat it after me audibly. Everybody can say the same prayer. Just say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus. I choose to believe and continue to believe. Only by your Son, Jesus, can I be made right with you. I am choosing today to call you my Lord. Grow me and change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's just celebrate for a moment that there's new life in our church family. That's remarkable. And I want to help you along that journey. There's a connect card in front of you. Fill that out or online and let us know that you chose to follow Jesus either the first time or you're actually recommitting in a sense to the Lord just as an acknowledgement that yes, I'm in this. Let me know so that I can give you resources to continue to grow in your relationship with God. Together, we can continue to move forward as mature believers and practice patience in trials. Will you stand and receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today?
Now, church family, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Now, say it with me. Go and be the church.